What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back to another Around Town in Chilliwack podcast episode. This episode I have been looking forward to for a while. Uh, David Short from The Bookman here in Chilliwack, a fixture of downtown Chilliwack. Uh, If you've never been to The Bookman, you need to come to Chilliwack. You need to head down Yale Road, hang a left on Wellington, on a one-way street, and there on your right-hand side, you will see The Bookman, one of the best, if not the best, used bookstore you will find anywhere, really. And not making this intro any longer than it needs to be, please sit back, relax, Enjoy my conversation with David Short, the bookman himself. Well, David, welcome. Thank you for coming on the show. We're glad you're here. Okay, thank you. So, David, why don't you tell us who are you? I'm David Short, but most people know me as the bookman because I've been buying and selling books in the Fraser Valley for the last 26 years. So that's what people know you as, the bookman. Yeah. And where can people find you, usually? Yeah, I know you're a bit of an enigma around. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm in the store two or three days a week. I, I usually do cash out. And uh, two days a week, I'm usually out on the road looking for books. I go as far south as White Rock. I go to North Vancouver, Central Vancouver, New Westminster, Burnaby, Langley, Maple Ridge, uh, Alder Grove, around in Abbotsford and in Mission, and Chilliwack. And occasionally, I go up to Hope and yeah. Put. So when you say you go around, what are you what are you doing? What are you going I'm, around for? I'm checking out uh, the thrift stores. Um, people get rid of books all the time and some bring them to our store but a lot of people think oh I'll give it to Bible Submission or I'll give it to MCC or whatever the thrift store is in their neighborhood and uh, I bring them back into circulation Um, when they're in the thrift stores they usually go from there into someone's personal library yeah but when I get them they come into the store and then they're accessible to everyone who comes into the store, anyone who checks our website out. And uh, some books that people wouldn't know about, um, they'll find. And uh, of course, there are some people who are looking for a particular book and they'll, they'll check bookstores' websites. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, we've got something they've been looking for for five ten years they're quite thrilled yeah. i am too yeah. you know so uh, the bookman you specialize in used books yes that's here yeah we do we do sell about five percent of our stock is new mm-hmm. which yeah. you've only recently done right last two three years yeah, yeah. Uh, it's my daughter amber who is going to be the one that will take over I she's mean, quite she, ambitious she is she already owns um, the bookstore, I, I passed over control of it to her about two and a half, three years ago. Yeah. Because I wanted her to know what it's like to actually run it by herself, and make the decisions. I've had to do that for the last 20 odd years. And uh, Does she still lean on dad? 
Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. And, uh, but we have our little back and forths, you know. So there's some things that I think, oh, why would we bother with that? And she would she would say the same to me, you know, why would you bother with that? And I say, because people are looking for that kind of book, you know. Yeah. But she looks for the latest hot books, the ones that so many people are looking for and that I can't find easily, mm-hmm. you know. Um, when a series is hot, especially if it's a young adult series, <laughs> the the kids just they don't want to let go of them. Yeah. So I'm I'm out looking for them, and uh, when I don't find enough, she says, "Okay, I'll bring them in you." Yeah. And I told her at the beginning, this will never work. <laughs> and it's working very well. Well, 20 some odd years of never selling new books. Yes. And then, uh... Well, I had turned down the chance to sell new books a number of times. And uh, because at that time I wasn't concerned with new books, I knew that the markup on new books is very small. Mm-hmm. And it's very difficult to support a store plus the staff on the markup from new books. Right. It's it's basically about 40, 40%. Mm-hmm. And if you've put out, you know, $20 for a book and you're only going to make 40% on it, yeah, that's a lot of money to put out to make any money. Yeah, for sure. Whereas by buying thriftily, uh, I can afford to keep the store going and, and make sure everyone gets paid. Well, how many people do you have on staff at the book, man? It's it varies between fifteen and eighteen. Yeah, and that's between the Abbotsford and Chilliwack store. Yes. Yeah. Wow, that's that's quite a staff to have to take care of and make sure you're selling enough books. You have to sell a lot of books. We do. And do you just sell books in the Chilliwack and Abbotsford store, or is there other places people? Can well, buy them? we we sell online as well. Mm-hmm. I don't have anything to do with that. <laughs> uh, there are certain things I don't have anything to do with because I figure other people can take care of that. I don't have to. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a, but that's a big part of what you guys do now, right? Is the sales of books online? Like, no. No? It's about 20 to 25%. Okay. So it's still a good chunk. Yeah. Yeah. It, in what we called the glory days of the internet. Yeah. When, uh, the American economy was strong and people were buying constantly on the internet um, our sales were probably around 30 to 40 percent okay but the American economy tanked and our sales went down with the, yeah. the economy it's picking up slowly but it I, I don't think it will ever reach those uh, heights the glory again. days but well because also, there were many books that have been out of print for years, and uh, to find some very ordinary paperbacks yeah. was difficult, uh, but was possible. You just had to go around to a lot of places. Right. With the internet, suddenly those books that have been difficult to find are now very, are fairly easy. But when they first pop up onto the internet, 
you might get four or five people trying to buy it right. at the same time. Yeah. And uh, so the price got pushed up. Right. And uh, we were selling what I regard as very ordinary paperbacks, $25, $35, sometimes as much as $100. Wow, just because people wanted them so much. Because people wanted them. And when we put it, when we put our copy up, we would always put them up a little bit less than than the the the, the lowest price, mm-hmm. and because uh, we would sell them, you know. Right. And for about a period of about four years, I would spot a book and I would say, "There's one for the internet," because I knew we'd sold it and we'd sold it for a good price. Right. And uh, they suddenly started reprinting some of these old books, and the price went down almost overnight. It's like printing money, right? Yeah. You start printing too much. Yeah. (laughs) So have you always been the bookman? No. uh, I traveled quite extensively between 20 and 25. Mm -hmm. Doing just traveling? Just, Just traveling, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I went. I lived in Sweden for a year and a half, and uh, I learned the language while I was there. Uh, I went around the Mediterranean. Took six months to do that. Yeah, loved the idea of traveling, so I decided I would save up, and I went out to India. I took six months to get there, and I spent a year there. And then I had a chance to work on a Swedish oil tanker that was coming across to North America. Yeah. So I took it. <laughs> uh, landed in New York, went up to Montreal and worked my way across to Vancouver. While I was in um, Bombay, I had met this young fellow from Vancouver. And because I'd been living there for quite some time I knew where all the embassies were I knew where you had to go to get this and go to get that and he was very grateful he said listen he says if you ever come to Vancouver he said even if I'm not there he says go see my dad he's got an office in the marine building yeah and so when I did get to Vancouver I went up to see him and uh, he said I told him I'd met his son and he said yeah he mentioned that if you came I I would help you get a job (laughs) and he said uh, and his son had worked in uh, lumbering Mm -hmm. and he said if you can get a job there he said it will pay very well and so I said I'd like to get into the lumber industry if I can so he phoned his friends who owned logging companies wow and after about six or seven phone calls, he says, you know, you're out of luck. He said, you've come a little too late in the season. He said, all the university students have grabbed all the jobs because it was in the summer. Yeah. He said, you ever consider mining? And I said, no, I've never done it. But I said, I'd be willing to try. Yeah. So he phoned his friends who owned mining companies. And uh, there was a place... Uh, on the boundaries of Alaska and uh, BC and there was a silver lead zinc mine there that was just coming in Yeah. and uh, he phoned he says can you be ready to leave on Monday 
And uh, I said, sure. But I had been told I had to go down to the immigration people. Right. I said, that's no problem. So I got oh. down there and I said, I've got this job up in, oh, I've forgotten the name of the town now. But uh, I said, it's a mining job. And uh, I said, I'm due to start in, on Tuesday. And they said, oh, we can get a Canadian to do that. <laughs> I said, what? And they said, I said, well, what happens to me? And they said, well, you'll have to go back to where you came from. I said, well, I came, came up from the States. I said, they're not going to want to take me back. <laughs> and I said, what happens then? He says, oh, I guess we'll deport you to England. And I was just totally crushed. Yeah, I, for sure. I came out of there. And at that point in time, the YWCA was, oh, it was very close to Granville Street. Not on Granville Street, but close. And uh, I went there and I'm just sort of sitting on my bed, looking down at the mouth, you know, and this yeah. cleaning lady come in and she says, what's wrong? She says, you always look so cheerful. And I told her what had happened. She said, you go see Jack Webster. And I said, who's Jack Webster? And she said, he has a radio program. So, so I asked where the, the address was and I went down there. And uh, when I went in, I told him what had happened. And he said, oh, those buggers. He said, <laughs> he said I've just come back from Toronto. He said, there was a plane load of Italians who didn't speak a word of English who were coming in because the construction industry in Toronto was just booming at that point in time. It was 1966. And uh, he said, hang on a moment. So he phoned up uh, an immigration lawyer called John Taylor, who was the top immigration lawyer in BC at the time, told him what had happened. And the guy said, they're, they're totally out to lunch. He says, and he said, oh, really? He said, would you say that on my radio program tonight? And he said, sure. And he said to me, would you come back and we'll record you at the same time? And I said, sure. So I came back and he interviewed me and I'd worked in in Sweden, I'd worked in Egypt, I'd worked in India. Yeah. And I said, I didn't think I would have any problems at all coming into Canada. Yeah. And he then he interviewed the lawyer. And I said, there, we'll see what happens. The next morning, I got a phone call. It's the immigration department. Would you like to come down and see us? I walk in. Would you like a cup of coffee? Would you like a cigarette? We've decided to review your case. <laughs> and so I always tell my children, if it wasn't for Jack Webster, you children would not have been born. Yeah. And the bookstore would never have happened. So from the, from Vancouver, you went up to the Alaska BC border. Yes, and worked, worked there. The worked there for three months. It was a very strange mine because it was set on the convergence of two glaci glaciers. Mm -hmm. And uh, the year before, there had been a snowslide, an avalanche that had wiped out the camp. Wow. And they, 
I think a couple of people were killed outright but there was one guy who was buried under the snow in a tangle of pipes so he was safe but he couldn't get out right and he said for three days the helicopter was landing on top of him wow and not knowing it and not knowing it yeah I met him I met him later on in the Yukon yeah but uh, then I went back down I went up to the Yukon worked for Anvil Mines and uh, from there I went back out to India yeah and came back and then I eventually came down to Vancouver again I met my wife up in the Yukon and uh, went back up to the Yukon we got we got married in the Yukon and then came down to Victoria where I did uh, hospital orderly practical nurse training and after a little bit of time in Victoria came out to the Fraser Valley and uh, after taking care of my oldest daughter who was then six months old mm-hmm. um, we 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 he, he had moved to Agassiz and uh, she got she had a lot of chest infections so we kept taking her into the hospital and when they found out that I was a practical nurse and nursing orderly they said you go down to the nursing office right now yeah. and apply for a job <laughs> <laughs> so I wound up working there for 11 and a half years Wow. So but, what what drew you to books then? You went from Oh I've I've been reading since I was 4 years old and uh, you grew up in England. I grew up in England. I knew pretty well every used bookstore in southeast London. Yeah. And uh, I collected so I always had hundreds and hundreds of books and uh, after I after I came to Agassiz I'd worked in the hospital for a while I thought it would be really nice to have my own bookstore and I'd seen all the things that I liked about bookstores and I'd seen all the things that I loathed about bookstores and I vowed that I would have one of the best bookstores that there was going to be and I'd I had quickly found all the bookstores in Vancouver, mm-hmm. so I knew I knew what the good bookstores were like and the ones that weren't. I knew all the bookstores in the Fraser Valley. Yeah, <laughs> I circulated so that I could find the books that I wanted. Yeah, and uh, I knew that if or I figured that if a bookstore was well organized, that it was well lit, and that it was clean, that it would attract people. Mm-hmm. and it has taken a while uh, but it's been an ongoing uh, work of love so you weren't originally in the location you were on Wellington That's- no we were one block further down the street uh, we had 1600 square foot and believe it or not at that point in time there were very few bookstores in Vancouver that were that size. Wow. Which was why we, we chose chose the building. I had been a customer, and it was certainly the largest bookstore in Chilliwack at the time. 
Mm-hmm. And it wasn't originally called. The it, Book was Man, co- was it, it was called. It was called Ernest Ernest Book Nook. Yeah. And uh, it was basically empty. Uh, the lady was a little paranoid about theft. Okay. And uh, so she kept the center of the bookstore absolutely clear, except for three islands that were about three feet high and didn't impede vision. And uh, I had seen in Ted Fraser's book bin on Granville Street in Vancouver, I had seen this collection of drawers where he had put authors who had written a number of books and I thought the idea was brilliant and using that system knew that I could put three times the amount of books in a store and I had friends in Agassiz Uh, the dad was a shop teacher and his son was equally skilled with his hands so I had them build my first cabinets and bookcases we we gradually went along one wall came back down the other then put interior bookcases in mm-hmm. and uh, until I had filled the store wow and that took two and a half three years and the chance to buy the building we have now came up and uh, so the book neck was just down the street from it was down the street yes yeah. uh, and then so you purchased the book nook um, when did the name change happen to the book man uh, when we moved down the street uh, I said to the staff we're not a nook anymore no and while I had been traveling around buying books for the store after I'd come into a thrift store five or six times people would see me and they'd say oh it's the bookman <laughs> and I thought yeah that's a good name for a bookstore yeah and we changed we changed the well we had originally changed the name from Erna's Book Nook to, to just the Book Nook I didn't want to put my name on it mm-hmm. and uh, when we put the bookman uh, we we had suddenly tripled our space yeah uh, one third of the building was still a restaurant it had been a restaurant for I'm thinking at least 25 maybe 30 years Wow and it had changed hands a number of times and the last lady a German lady had it um, she was a good cook but she would insist on people buying the food that she thought they should eat <laughs> rather than letting them choose people people stopped coming unfortunately yeah and uh, she came in one day and she said well I'm closing out at the end of the month she said and then I'm going to have a garage sale to get rid of all my equipment and she said after that it's yours wow and I immediately got Amber and a couple of other of my staff and I said start planning now yeah I said we're going to have that space next door I said we're going to double the size of a number of sections and I said there's certain things that I want doubled I said if there's anything else that you want to change now is the time to do it so what year was that ooh 
probably at least seven or eight years ago. I'm thinking maybe as many as ten. Yeah. But um, the moment that lady was out, we were stripping down the walls. We were taking down the electrical stuff. We were painting. And as soon as we were ready, I, I went to see us and I said, we're putting in a new extension to our store. And I said, I need to get some good laminate for the floor. And they showed us the ones they had. And uh, there was one I really liked, but it turned out to be really expensive. <laughs> so we had to choose another one instead. And they said, okay, well, we guarantee you that it'll be here by this date. The date came, they came up to the store and said, the one that you ordered did not make it onto the truck. It came from somewhere down in the deep south. Yeah. So we have substituted a better quality, but you'll pay the same price. There you it go. It was the one we wanted. <laughs> <laughs> so once that was in, I had already ordered the person who was making our bookcases and cabinets to get going so that by the time all the all the changes have been made in there I said okay you can bring the bookcases in now the, the floor was all laid out so that everybody knew where everything went mm-hmm. and they moved whole sections and his wife came in they came in on the Thursday his wife came into the store on the Saturday and she said I can't believe it you just got these bookcases and they're full. <laughs> <laughs> so you were ready to go. We were ready to go. Yeah. yeah. And of course, some of the some of the bookcases in the main part of the store had got uh, lots of books on top of the bookcases. Wow. So they were able to bring that down. And uh, yeah. we were so, able to bring stuff out from the back room, which made a huge difference. Oh, for sure. You can't sell books if they're in the back room. That's my motto. <laughs> So you're a fixture downtown historic Chilliwack, um, historic downtown Chilliwack. It's it's funny in a way because when we moved in, there was a a lady next door selling um, used dresses and blouses and this sort of thing, and she heard that a used bookstore was moving in next door, and she said, "I'm moving out. This is this is not good for the downtown." And she moved up to the mall close to the hospital, uh, was out of business within three years. Yeah. And we are now known as the downtown anchor. You are, for sure. How, how many years? Well, it's got like to be... before the extension. Uh, well, we've been in the, in the building for about, I would say, 20, 22 years. Yeah. And probably the restaurant carried on for about five years, I would say, after we were there. Okay. Wow. So over two decades, you've you've been right downtown, seen a lot of changes. Mm-hmm. Oh, we've seen a lot of changes to Chilliwack yeah. in the time we've been here. So um, for some people have concern about wanting to go downtown Chilliwack. What, what would you have to say to them about shopping, dining? walking around downtown Chilliwack. They would have absolutely no problem at all. 
it's actually the merchants that are more at risk than the public. Yeah. Because uh, if anyone sees a chance to break into a downtown business and they think they can get away with it, they'll do it. Yeah. You know? We've been broken into two or three times, but some of the stores along Mill Street have been broken been broken into multiple times. Mm-hmm. You know, and those guys, those guys keep going. Yeah. But is it a safe place for people to... I think so, yeah. yes. You, you talk about, like, there's obviously a big warning there that there's, obvi- yeah. there's, there's obvious theft going no, on. No, I, 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 warn, I warn customers. Uh, I say, have you locked your car? Mm-hmm. And if they say no, I would say, go out now and lock it. I said, nothing will probably happen, but if it's locked, it's going to make it more difficult for them. Yeah. For sure. But I mean, we've got a young, well, young, he's older than young, but <laughs> he he lives upstairs uh, above a size shop. And uh, he said his car was broken into five times. He said, but I said, they break the windows? He said, no, no, I don't lock it. <laughs> no it's point not broken in locking into it. then. Yeah. <laughs> you just let yeah. them in? Yeah. Uh, what are you, some of your favorite places downtown Chilliwack? That aside from the Bookman, uh, I do see you walking around, so I yeah. know that you're. Well, I love the shoe shop across. I never knew what comfortable shoes were until I started buying my shoes there. Yeah, I put on my first pair of shoes there, and I said, "It feels like I've got a glove on my foot," <laughs> and. They are more expensive, but uh, it does, in the long run, uh, it's worthwhile having comfortable feet. For sure. Uh, Our staff really likes Birdies, the bakery. Uh, Harvest is another favorite place for our staff to go. I have seen you there a few times with the book and a a cup of tea or coffee. I'm not sure what it'll be, but... I have not yet tasted any of the brews of the new craft brewery. No. But I'm so pleased that it's there. You, you know? need to have a book and uh, brew day. <laughs> My problem is I am very paranoid about drinking and driving. Mm-hmm. And I know they don't serve you much, but they serve you four different beers. Well, if they're potent ones... <laughs> doesn't take much. Doesn't take much, yeah. <laughs> Anywhere else for for lunch or dinner that you like to go? No, basically, I used to go to Appledorn's, but um, it changed hands, and the guy that did it decided he didn't want to do breakfasts anymore, and I had been going there for something like 18 years. Wow. Yeah. So Harvest is where you're... No, I I go to Harvest. I also go to the Royal. The Royal, yeah. yeah. The Royal... It's gorgeous. Like, I wish more people would go in there. Like, the cafe and the entranceway, it's just, it's oh, like yeah. a step back in time. Well, once, that's that I believe is the the oldest pub in Chilliwack now. Yeah. Uh, the Empress was straightforward den of vice. <laughs> <laughs> Someone said to me once, what would be the best thing that ever happened in Chilliwack? And I said, if the Empress burnt to the ground. <laughs> so that was a good day when it was demolished, wasn't it? Yeah, we we had our house broken into. We lived in a little house on Wellington. 
and we had I had a camera they took part of a stereo they took a sweater and a few other things and the police constable that came round he said uh, he said probably you will never see any of these things again he said but you might want to try going in the Empress and seeing what's being offered for sale <laughs> so you mentioned sweaters there's something you're known for your unique sweaters that uh, that you wear around the, the shop once well, it gets it's, colder it's just that I'm very comfortable in a sweater and uh, I like to find unusual ones I, I'll buy knitting books if I find a good sweater design yeah and I've got there's been two or three different ladies in Chilliwack who've knitted the sweaters for me but the saddest thing is that they they do eventually wear out and my two favorite uh, sweaters uh, are getting that way and the one that's the most worn I used to have ladies come into the store and try and buy it off my back <laughs> Yeah. So one of my favorite things that you and I have done together, um, thanks to Amber setting it up, is uh, filming uh, a minute with the book man. And we will talk about um, authors or and books that you you recommend for people to come in the store and and buy. And I always enjoy it because you can take sixty seconds to explain a, a novel, and then I've never heard of it and didn't know anything about it. And then I find at the end of filming, okay, well, I guess I should pick this one up because David's just explained it in such a way. What What are some of the books that you'd recommend uh, that people come in? And for me, uh, Philip K. Dick, I didn't know him until I met you. And now I, you know, I'm a lot of short stories through that he's written and then a few of his novels and I, it's fantastic science fiction. I absolutely love it. Well, his three volumes of short stories that have been out of print for the longest time when you can find them sell mm -hmm. for about $200 right and I have had one of the three volumes and did you hold on to that yourself? no nope. nope. you sold it? let it go yeah no I can't I found out a long time ago when I first started I thought oh I can build my collection up even more <laughs> and I had one of those swap meet tables about eight feet long two three feet wide and I would just put books that I thought oh yeah I want to read this one after about six months I thought how many books have I got on that table and I counted and I had over 500 books and I thought <laughs> You are never going to be able to read all these. <laughs> so I had to stop, you know. Yeah. Because there's just so many books out there. Oh, for sure. And I have favorites that I have read two, three, four, five times. Mm -hmm. I'm just rereading uh, a David Weber series about a lady called Honor Harrington. And she is like a a futuristic um, Horatio Hornblower. Okay. And uh, they're just wonderful. And I'm now on book five of at least 17, and I think there's an 18th one. Wow. Been written. He's just someone who 
writes very well. Mm -hmm. And I like people that can just take me away. Oh, for sure. <laughs> so uh, David Weber, Philip K. Dick, I know you really enjoy. Um, who else would you recommend? Well, Bryce Courtney is usually my most favorite one because he is the only person that when I finished a book, I went straight back to the beginning and reread it. Wow. And that was the power of one. Mm -hmm. um, oh. Trouble is, I've read so much, <laughs> and there are so many books that I've just loved. It blurs uh, together. Well, it's not that it blurs together. Um, when I see the book, I go, oh, that is so good. And if someone comes up to the counter with something that I've really enjoyed, I always say to them, do you know how lucky you are to find that particular book? Because I said it's hard to find, and it's a great story. And I now have a group of people who come up to me when they come in, they say, what have you read lately? What can you recommend? Yeah, I'm one of those people. <laughs> I have one one guy who he says I've changed his life uh, there's a wonderful book I think it's 15, 1531 uh, about how a Chinese fleet came to Venice and they came with all the Chinese manuscripts and models and and they just totally blew away the Venetians because they had things that no one had even thought of then and their their manuscripts and books were copied uh, I believe there was a guy called Michelangelo who got some original designs <laughs> from the Chinese <laughs> and uh, they went across to Egypt because Venice and uh, Alexandra Alexandria were recognized as the two major set centers of civilization at that time. Mm -hmm. And after they went back to China, they said, we didn't learn anything. We were ahead of all of them. So the Chinese emperor said, well, these barbarians, you know, we'll just leave them alone. The fleet rotted at the quayside. In the meantime, people took these ideas and expanded on them and changed this and did this and did this and the European world and ultimately North American world went ahead that's why China was so far behind because they figured they couldn't learn anything wow. from the barbarians <laughs> but the barbarians overtook them Yeah. and uh, I recommended another book called The Man Who Loved China about I can't remember whether it was an Oxford Don or a Cambridge Don anyway he was a uh, a, a study a, he his studies were in Ch on China and he had a Chinese girlfriend who taught him uh, spoken Chinese and written Chinese she said you must be able to speak and write because he could read Chinese but he, could, he didn't write it yeah. And uh, when World War Two came, the Japanese invaded China, and they sort of sent out 
messages, you know, can you help us? So they sent him out because of his abilities with speaking, reading and writing Chinese. He was sent out basically as an ambassador and an interpreter. And while he was going through different cities, the universities were giving him uh, documents and manuscripts saying keep them safe and he was of course collecting for his university as well when he got back to Britain he wrote a 12 volume history of China um, and in there were all the all the drawings and the plans of the devices that they had taken to Venice in the 13 or 1500s and uh, they were all safely in museums wow. well came come the great leap forward when they decided that they needed to recharge the revolutionary spirit in China the Red Guards went into the museums and universities and burnt all this worthless paper. Wow. And so Britain became the sort of the sole repository of everything Chinese that had been printed. And they were in the extremely strange situation of of giving copies back to the Chinese. Yeah. And this man decided that he needed that 12 volume set. And uh, he said, Some of it's pretty dry. He said, But some of it's really interesting. He said, And I'm going to China next year. And he said, This is just a preliminary thing. He said, I'm thinking of living there. Wow. You know. Yeah. He said, you changed my life. <laughs> <laughs> I'd say so. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, I've lost staff because of my travel tales. Yeah, they've gone off on their own adventures. They've gone off on their own adventures, yes. Yeah. Well, you've had quite, quite, the, uh, quite the life, David. It's, uh, I always enjoy sitting down and, and hearing stories from you. Well, the thing is, my oldest daughter, Coral... She's now been to more countries than I have. Wow. She's a performance artist and she has performed in Japan, Taiwan, Beijing. She was invited over to uh, be an adjudicator for the other. They had a big performance art festival there and she was asked to adjudicate some of the other performers. She was asked to be a resident artist there. She's performed all over Europe and she's been down to South America, which I have never been to. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, she she says she said, You gave me the idea. I took her when she was twelve we went to England and cycled along the south coast of England. Uh, it was her and a young uh, Dutch boy from Agassiz, a family that we knew well. And he, in turn, has cycled all over Europe and 
one one summer he decided he would cycle the Tour de France route just for fun. (laughs) (laughs) Must love cycling. Yeah, and he got a job at St. George's. He took care of outdoor education and uh, decided to teach math as well. And, And he said, I would never have traveled if I hadn't gone with you and Coral. Wow. He said, I, he said, I realized it was possible. Yeah. And I always say to people, you have to make up your mind where, you, where you're going to go and set yourself a timetable and on the date you've set, leave. Yeah. I said, events will take care of themselves after that. Because some things will be crazy some things will be scary but you get to live and most people don't move from their immediate neighborhood um i met people who say oh why would you want to go there and uh, and i said well because it would be interesting it would be different yeah so uh, recently, uh, you became a grandfather. I did. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, maybe let's end with this on uh, just with uh, how how involved you are with your grandson and, and reading. Um, I know just from you and I speaking before that uh, you used to read to your kids from pretty much day one. Yes. Um, how how have things have things changed with a, having a grandchild? Oh, we've been we've been reading to him since we've been we've been taking care of him one day a week, and I read to him. This doesn't mean to say that he's following what I'm saying. <laughs> I mean, he's more interested in pictures at yeah. the moment, but certain words have meaning, mm-hmm. and. Uh, the more you get children involved in reading, the more involved they become. And this is a hard fact that a lot of parents don't realize. Mm-hmm. Well, David, thank you so much for sitting down and, and chatting and sharing a few stories. And Always a pleasure. So thank you. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with David. The man is so enjoyable and friendly and humble. Just a quality, good man that we have here in Chilliwack, a businessman, uh, someone that has chased their passion and uh, done so in such a way that I can only hope that I can do that uh, in just a small portion the way he has done it with the book man, with his family, his wife and his kids, his grandson. Uh, David, I commend you. You are an excellent example to men everywhere. So thank you. I hope you enjoyed this podcast episode. If you haven't yet, make sure you subscribe. And also check out our sponsors. Uh, Cowork Chilliwack, amazing place. If you're looking for just a small office space for you and maybe someone else, um, they've got private spaces now, more private spaces available. And they also have hot desks where you can just uh, show up. Uh, a few times a week and you got your own desk wi-fi you can hang out with other people uh, a lot of creative people that are working there so make sure you check out co-work and also if you're looking to buy or sell your home you got to give ron laser a call Uh, ron is a top-notch guy he knows the industry he knows the market 
So give him a call, Mr. Ron Laser. If you're interested in sponsoring or being involved in some way in around town in Chilliwack, please let me know. Matthew Anthony Hawkins. You can email me, Matt, M-A-T-T, at filmads, F-I-L-M-A-D-S, dot C-A. Thanks, folks, and have a great day.